44. She didn't look a day over 29. That's what I celebrated this. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Well, uh, so that anybody uh, make any New Year's resolutions? Oh, no? Did, did anybody break any New Year's resolutions yet? No, just kidding. Uh, all right. Well, it's always so good to be here at Crossroads. And um, why don't we uh, pray for Robert and it's just uh, pray for him as he's back with his family and uh, tending to his mother. And uh, let's just pray, God, you are awesome. What a great time of worship we just had. Thank you for talented musicians, Lord, that can... Um, Lead us and guide us into your presence to just worship you and to thank you, God, for who you are. Lord, it's so good. And Father, we pray for Pastor Robert as he's back in Ireland and uh, tending to his mother's needs, Lord. Just pray for her health and that everything would go well, Lord. And Lord, uh, somebody also asked me to pray for uh, Australia and, and the drought that they're going through and the fires that are happening there, Lord. So, Lord, we lift that that nation up to you, Lord, that, that area up to you, Father. Bring rain, we pray. And now, Holy Spirit, as we look into your word, only you can, uh, can give us insight and understanding. Only you can open the eyes of the blind. And Lord, we're so spiritually blind at times. And so I pray that you would uh, speak to us this morning. And Lord, if there's anybody here today that, that is inquiring about you, maybe are, are here because of a New Year's uh, resolution they made themselves to go to church or to, to seek you, God, we thank you for working in our lives and just pray that you would reveal yourself to us today afresh and anew. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. Well, if you are here for the first time, welcome to Crossroads Church, and uh, we hope you have a wonderful experience, and so wonderful that you come back again. Uh, don't judge today on me, because I'm only a visiting speaker. Uh, I'm, my name, for those who don't know, I'm Tom Kaler. I'm a very good friend of Robert's, and uh, um, I've known Robert since he came to Utah um, in, at a pastor's gathering, and we've been really great buddies ever since, and um, I've been, I'm retired from the Air Force, retired in 2002, and went into ministry and uh, planted a church in West Point, Utah, Christ Community Church, and then we mer did that for about 10 years, and we merged with Alpine Church, and I was on staff with them for about 10 years, and now for about the last year, I'm involved, I got recruited as a regional director for the state of Utah, now my job is to work with an organization called Ratio Christi, and that's uh, Latin for the reason for Christ, and we, my job is to recruit leaders for campuses to start uh, chapters on each campus that uh, uh, talk about apologetics, and what that is is giving historical, scientific, philosophical reasons why the Judeo-Christian worldview is the best worldview out there. So uh, that's what we do. And if you're a student at Weber State or you know students, uh, and that sounds interesting, I would love to talk to you after the service today. Well, um, speaking of New Year's, we have a new series here at Crossroads Church for the new year. And um, this series, what we want to do is, you know, I've been in ministry for 20 years, like I said, in Utah. And I'm amazed that people, when they, they come, to, come to, you know, Pastor Tom, what about this? What about that? And I get all excited when people ask me spiritual questions. And it shows that they're in an honest pursuit of truth. Truth is good, no matter what it is, no matter shape, size it comes in, the truth is always good. And they're surprised that I'm excited at their questions. Because a lot of times they've been in 
churches where their kind of questions are frowned upon and, and how dare you challenge the church or whatever, however that is formed, but whatever. We as Christians love truth and we love questions when people are honestly, sincerely seeking after the truth. So what we want to do is kind of uh, in this series, the name of the series is When God Doesn't Make Sense, okay? And now I know most of you don't need this series because you, you have got all figured out and you don't have any questions, right? Uh, how we wish that were true. Now, and if you're thinking because of this, when God doesn't make sense, if you're thinking, wow, this is great. After this series is done, I'm going to have God all figured out. Sorry, that's not going to happen. All right? Sorry to disappoint you. Heck, I can't even figure out my own wife, much less figure out God. But, um, (laughs) sorry, honey. She's wonderful. She's wonderful. God is just too awesome for us to figure him out completely. All right? And, uh, but let's look at what the Bible says about this subject, about figuring out God, okay? First of all, it says in Isaiah, it says, um, I think we got that verse. Next slide. Um, am I supposed to do jumping jacks to get the slide to change? Or <laughs> What's that? Oh, sorry about that. My bad, my bad. Well, let me just read this verse to you, okay? Isaiah says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Wow. Some people have a problem with that. I don't. Now, it does bug me at times when I just can't figure God out. But I'm glad that I serve a God who is just that. God. Totally beyond my comprehension. Now, even though God is beyond our comprehension, that doesn't mean that he hasn't revealed some things about us through his word, okay? And and he's given us some answers to some tough questions in life. So in this series, we're going to try and clear away some of the fog and help some things come into, into focus. And one of the questions we're going to try to answer in part one is, if I'm going through something that hurts... Is it because I did something wrong? Is karma true? Well, that's going to be the title of today's sermon, which is, now that side I know we have. <laughs> it's not my fault. I don't know about y'all, but maybe it was my Catholic upbringing. But any time that I'm going through something bad, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what did I do? What did I do? I must have did something wrong. And maybe it's just by human nature that we all kind of get that feeling, like if we're going through something bad, I must have done something to deserve this. But you know what? Vindication. Don't we all just love to say that phrase, I told you so, you know? And if maybe you were accused of something that you didn't do and you, you found out that you're innocent. I told you! Well, I, I couldn't help but think of this, uh, this story, Craig Coley, when um, we have a little video, just a minute video here to, to kind of shoot this. <laughs> For 70-year-old Craig Coley, it's the little things. 
like leftovers after a holiday feast. This is the most thankful Thanksgiving that I've ever spent. I'm not just saying that. Not just saying that, because the day before Thanksgiving, Coley walked out of a California prison, free for the first time in nearly 40 years after being convicted of a crime he did not commit. This is what I told him, do what you will to me, but don't stop looking, you've got the wrong person. The Vietnam veteran was arrested in 1978 for the brutal murder of his ex-girlfriend, Rhonda Wick, and her four-year-old son. Wednesday, Coley was granted a full pardon by Governor Jerry Brown, citing new DNA evidence clearing Coley, but also mishandling by the investigators who originally were on his case, even implying the possibility he was framed. You cannot read this case and feel comfortable about convicting him. In 1989, cold case detective Mike Bender started digging on his own, immediately noticing something was wrong. It appeared to me that things were intentionally ignored and manipulated, destroyed, distorted. So for the next 28 years, Coley's case became Bender's life's work. I don't think there's a government agency I didn't go to to try and get somebody to hear this case and look at the evidence. The two men eventually forged a lifelong friendship, neither giving up until Craig came home this Thanksgiving into the arms of Mike's family. He means everything to me. He, his wife, um, they're my family. Now, Craig serves as a symbol of hope. I'm a living testimony to everybody out there that's having some rough times or having a bad day. Enjoying those little things in life, one toe at a time. For today, Steve Patterson, NBC News, Los Angeles. Incredible. Wow. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> sometimes we feel like we're in the prison of, of pain, wondering, what did I do to get here? I'm sure Craig thought that many times during his 40 years of imprisonment. But did you notice his attitude? Wow. He didn't even say it. I told you so. I was innocent. Man, I don't know about you, but when I watched that, I was like, dude, show a little anger. Man. There was nothing there. What would his anger have gotten him? Not much. You know, it's hard, but we need to learn to trust God's character in life's confusion. And you know, we don't have to live long to know that bad things happen to us and to people that we love, and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. And, you know, if you're like me, sometimes you ask yourself or God to question, well, what did I do? What did I do to deserve this? Why am I going through this? And yes, you know, um, there are natural consequences to sin. And we're all sinners. But sometimes we go through things and Sin has absolutely, positively nothing to do with it. Nothing. Just, sometimes it's just because we live in a fallen world. And crap happens. But I didn't say that one. But anyway. Did you know that in, in the day, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders taught that all suffering was because of some wrong that you have done. 
And most people believe that in Jesus' day. And one day they were walking in uh, Jerusalem and there was the beggar, a blind beggar, and every, had a reputation. Everybody knew about him and, and he was born blind. And Jesus and the disciples were walking by this guy. And one of the disciples asked him in John chapter 9, verse 2 and 4, through 4, it says, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, it's interesting that they asked this man. He was born blind, but I don't know. Maybe they believed in preexistence or something. I don't know. But anyway, neither this man nor his parents sinned said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus is saying his blindness had absolutely positively nothing to do with anything that he or his parents did. Jesus put an end to that way of thinking. Point blank, that's it. Now that was very radically different than what People believed and taught in his day. And it makes me wonder why the religious leaders of his day taught that because they had the book of Job just like we have the book of Job. And we're going to get into that in a second. But before we go there, God wants us to know that no matter what we're going through, no matter what the cause of our pain, God wants us to bring it to him because he cares. But even after saying that, some of you might be thinking, you know, does he really care? Why am I going through this? And almost seems like sometimes the greater the pain, the further away he seems. Why is that? Well, let's look at some scriptures that address this question. Now, how many of you have heard of the book of Job? Okay, yeah, it's a pretty popular book in the Old Testament. And uh, it starts out saying, if anybody lived a good life, it was Job. I mean, he, he just, he lived one of those lives. Now, he was a sinner, just like the rest of us. But by and large, he lived a righteous life. And he, he was a very successful guy. Had lots of stuff. And he had a big family. I think he had like 12 kids, a wife and 12 kids, and they loved each other. They, they celebrated together all the time, and life was good for Job. Then somehow, Satan got to talk with God, got into God's presence, and he says to God, you know what, God? The only reason Job serves you, worships you, has relationship with you, it's because life is good. That's the only reason. And, and then he went and Job went on, or Satan went on to say, you know, his life is filled with pleasure instead of pain. Let me take away the good things. Let me give, give him some pain, and he will be mad as a wet hand at you. He will doubt your love for him. He'll curse you. Even stop believing in you. Take away the good and give him some pain. He's out of there. Now, in essence, God says to Satan, Job just plain old loves me 
and, and worships me and respects me for who I am, and nothing is going to change that for Job. And he goes on to say pretty much, and there's some insinuation going on here, but it's like now, um, since this life is so short compared to eternity, and it's mainly a time, a short time of testing and character building, mm, go ahead, Satan. Be a tool in my hand and build character in Job. It'll be hard for me to watch but it will be good for Job. Now, this might sound like I'm going off on a little bit of rabbit trail right now, but just stick with me. Um, you know, many different cultures have different um, uh, ceremonies. There's probably a better word for that. Rituals or whatever that they go through when it's time for a boy to become a man. All right, like in Africa, they got to kill a lion or something. I don't know. You, know. you know what I'm talking about. Well, in some Native American cultures, what they did when it was time for a boy to become a man and, uh, is they would, uh, the highest mountain in the area, the boy would have to, when he turned 13, would have to climb by himself, hike up to that mountain, and stay on the top of the mountain all night by himself. And it was kind of a scary thing. I mean, when the boy turned 12, it was like, oh man, in a year, I'm going to have to do that. Six, a month, oh man, it's a month away, it's a week away, tomorrow, I got to pack my stuff, I got to pack my, my um, weapons in case I get in trouble, I got to pack my blanket, whatever, and I'm going to hike up there. Now, unbeknown to the son was the father hiking behind him so the son couldn't see him. But the father would always be there in case something really dangerous happened. But the father was also there to throw things in the thicket to make it sound like there were wild beasts in the nearby. <laughs> and then, no matter how hard the son would cry, and maybe even scream out of fear, and notice how we said the father came because if the mother came up there, she would blow it every time. <laughs> but the father, no matter how loud the child would scream, and even the father would want to intervene, but nope, not going to do it. And then daybreak comes. And what was the worst night of that boy's life became the best night of that man's life. So Satan says to God, go ahead, Satan, be a tool in my hand and build some character in Job. It will be hard for me to watch, but it will be good for him. And then God goes on to say to Satan, you know, little insinuation here, but it will also be hard for you, Satan, to see that some do love me for who I am and not for what I give them. And in the end, it will drive you crazy, Satan. It's not my purpose, but I'll love watching that as well. And 
so it happened. Satan caused a fire that, that destroyed everything that Job had, including his 12 children. And so this was Job's response. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. That's pretty much what the first two songs that we started worship this morning said. Job worshiped God for who who he is and not for what God gave him. And then, to add to that, Job had a horrible disease that caused him much pain and suffering. And something else that takes up a lot of the book of Job, it's probably the bulk of the book of Job, was Job's so-called friends who are arguing with Job while he's going through his pain and saying that if you were really serving God, this would not have happened to you, Job. Come on, Job, level with us. What what sin do you have in your life? Come on. This doesn't happen to people that are living righteous lives. By the way, people, please, please don't be Job's friends. If you know someone that's going through pain and suffering, the last thing they need is someone to judge them. They need your unconditional love and encouragement and to be there for them. So Job says, you know, to his so-called friends, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I, I can't think of any ongoing rebellious acts that I'm committing against God. And at times, Job does say something like, wait a minute, God, what have I done to deserve this? I'm innocent. In fact, if you read the book of Job, Job is, at times he says, God, I want a courtroom so I can show you that I haven't done anything to deserve all this. And we all have a tendency to think like that while we're going through it. It's natural. But through it all, Job gets to see God in a way that he never would have had he not gone through what he went through in that book. In fact, look at, what, look at this. Look at the conclusion in the last chapter of Job. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? This is with Job, and and God's making reference to Job's arguments against God through the book. And Job says, man, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And he goes on to say, you said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. So then Job says, you know what? My ears had heard of you before all this. It, my, my relationship with you and my experience with you was more of, a, of, a, of an academic thing. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. 
Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Hmm. From Job's and our perspective, Job had every reason to question God while he was going through it. But in the end, Job said, what was I doing thinking that I knew more than the Almighty? I said, God, I'm, I want to bring you to court. What was I thinking? Yes, I was right in thinking that it wasn't my fault, but I was wrong in thinking that it was out of God's control. And then, and then he goes on, and, and then you, when you, even as, as Job comes to this conclusion, we might ask, what, what did he say in the book? Did he, did he answer the big question? How did he come to that conclusion? Where in the book of Jerobes are the words that answer the big question of life? Why does an all-powerful, loving God allow suffering? Is, it, does that, is, that answer, is, is that question answered in the book of Job? It's not there. Notice how Job said in that verse, he said, Job says, surely I spoke about things I didn't understand. Things too wonderful, he said. That word wonderful, in the Hebrew, it's pala. It means too high, hidden, too difficult for words. In other words, Job is saying that through his experience of pain, he experienced God in a way that he wouldn't have experienced God without that pain. And he saw God in a way he didn't see God before the pain. And what he's saying is, this is not something, this is a question that you cannot logically work out through words and reason. It's something that we have to experience. And you have to experience him through the pain. Job would go on to say, and experience him is something that I did. He's awesome. He's more than words can tell. He's incomprehensible. And that's something we can't read in a book. And unfortunately, and I, I even hesitate to say this myself, but it's not something we can experience without pain. And that's the conclusion that Job came to. And I, I think right now, it's safe to say that as we look back on things, it's hard to say this while we're going through it. But as I look at my life that I've lived so far, yes, I'm a little older than 29, but <laughs> the hardest times are the times that I grew the most. The hardest times are the times when I experience God in a way that I didn't experience before and my relationship grew deeper with him. So while we're going through whatever, while we're going through it, whatever it is, and I'm sure if we could put on these TVs the experience of every individual in this life for what it is, it wouldn't be a happy movie a lot of times. 
And we might say, wow, kind of like what, the way we looked at, uh, his name was Corey. We're sitting here, man, he needs to be angry. We might be saying the same thing when we look at whatever it is in your life. Saying, wow, they're going through that and they didn't do anything to deserve that. So while we're going through it, it's, it's good to ask, you know, am I doing, is this part of the reaping and sowing law? Is there something that, some choices that are making me, that I'm making that are causing me to, you know, like if I'm drinking a quart of vodka every day, it's, yeah, that might have something to do with why I'm not feeling good, okay? <laughs> but if there isn't anything like that going on, it's good to know it's not our fault, but don't focus on that. Pray God, what are you trying to reveal to me through this? And I'm sure he would understand, you know, if we said something like, in whatever it is, could you speed it up? I mean, I know it takes time to make good wine, but I don't mind being that cheap box wine or something. <laughs> but, and then you think, oh no, he's trying to teach me patience right now. No! And you know, and we all know gold. The gold, you know, we all look at our rings or necklaces or whatever and we think, wow, that was cool. I wonder how they, they found it just like that. No, gold normally isn't found like that. It's found in rocks and you have to break it up and you got to heat it up. And the hotter the fire gets, the purer the gold gets. Doesn't it? Don't, I hesitate to even say that. You know what I'm talking about. And that heat has nothing to do with something wrong that you or I did. Nothing. You know, we, we can be funny about this, but we all know it's not funny while we're going through the valley. And like I said, for some reason, it almost seems like God seems further away when we're going through the stuff. But let us trust in God's character in life's confusion. In Romans chapter 8, it says this. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan. Yes, life is good. It's got its great points, you know. We have our families. We've, we're prosperous men in America. We're living better than the king did 500 years ago. And we, we could be lower to middle class and we're living better than the king. So our life is good, but we all know that there's also so much pain that comes along with this life ever since the fall. And it's not just, it's not just the unbelieving creation, it's believers as well. We groan as well. It's just part of being in a fallen world. And then it goes on to say um, in couple verses down in verse 20. Is 26 in there? Do we, do we miss one? I must have missed one. I missed another one. Put it back one. Is 826 in there? I'm looking for 26. It's not in there? Okay. Sorry. My bad. 
Get that one off there. It's not supposed to be up there yet. Go back to the other one. All right. In Romans 8.26, right after he talks about the pain that this world is in, he says this, if you have your Bibles, 8.26. And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human, human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know what to pray or know the best things to, to ask for. But the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. Now, some people say this is praying in tongues, and I'm, I'm sure that, that that's making reference to something like that because it's a language, it's a, it's a, a groaning that when you, in your time of pain and suffering, it just goes beyond words. You know, we already talked about how God is incomprehensible and words can't describe him. Well, sometimes our pain, it hurts so much, there's no words to describe that. It hurts so much. You know, if we're, you know how you go to a doctor sometimes? And then they, when you go there, they say, for the reason that you're here, well, how would you describe the pain on a scale of one to 10? Well, sometimes I think we, our emotional pain that we're going through, and it might be because of a physical thing, it might be because of a spiritual thing or whatever. But if the doctor were to ask us, our answer would be, doc, it's off the scale. Words can't describe how I feel right now. And that's kind of what this verse is making reference to. And believe it or not, God wants you to believe there is a reason even for this. What is this? You fill in the blank. What are you going through right now? And you might be think, tempted to think there is no way that God could be in control of this situation. There, there's no way that he could have some purpose in this. Can I say this? No matter how out of control things might seem to be, God is still in control. And he's going to turn this terrible thing into something that will bring glory to him and will be for our good. Now, you know, and sometimes we're going to feel like that Indian boy up there on the mountain crying out. And it's going to seem like the family and God is so far away. But there's a reason for it. There's a purpose in it. Trust him. He's there. He's there. Now, um, where you get through this whole series, we, we're going to memorize together a verse. And did they hand out the verse yet? Nope. Okay, great. Well, this is the verse that you're going to be handed on the way out. And through this next four weeks, everybody has to memorize this, okay? All right? It's mandatory fun. That's what we call it in the Kaler house. So. Romans 8.28, let's say it together. So we are convinced 
that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. Amen? Amen. And that's right after the verses that we already went over in Romans. And the context of these is pain. The whole creation is groaning and we are groaning. Whatever you are going through, it's not your fault. It's God's plan. Whatever you are going through is not your fault. It is God's plan. And no matter how out of control things might seem, he's in control. And he's going to turn whatever is going on into something for his glory and our good. Now, like all sermons, um, we have to bring it back to Jesus. Jesus, God in the flesh, is certainly not immune to suffering. Can I hear an amen there? Amen. And suffering where he could have definitely said, it's not my fault. He knows. <laughs> suffering that caused even the Son of God to say, my God, my God, why? But even though he knew why, it caused him to say why. And let me say this, and I hesitate to say this because it's scary. But no matter how much faith you have, all the faith you have will be tested. Isn't it scary? No matter how much faith we have, all the faith we have will be tested. If it doesn't cause you to question God, if it doesn't cause you to say, my God, my God, why? You aren't being tested. So if you don't get to that point, it's coming. And it is scary. But you know what? He's going to bring us through. And we're going to be better because of it. So Jesus, his love goes beyond words. And let's close by reading these verses in Ephesians. It says, it's interesting. I, you know, y'all... You think you learn something by somebody spending a lot of time and preparing in God's word and sharing this with you this morning? I learned 50 times as much because I was totally diving into this this week. And, and, and the theme that came up was pain goes beyond words and love goes beyond words. And look at what it says here. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
what Paul is saying, this is going to take the power of God through the Holy Spirit to make this known to you. You're not going to be able to read it in a book. And it goes beyond human logic and understanding. And if you have ever experienced the love of God through Jesus Christ, you know what I'm talking about. And it took the pain and suffering of Jesus in order to manifest that to us. And it takes the Holy Spirit to make that happen. So, I want to ask in closing this morning, have you ever experienced that? You know, I can't really say it for sure, but I think Job, before all that happened, he had kind of a head knowledge of God. After he went through all that, he had a spiritual, deep, relational knowledge of God. And you know, sometimes I can see it in people's faces. It's like, you know, you, you, some of you know what I'm talking about. You just love Jesus and you worship him and you just, it's so overflowing. And, and you'll have somebody look at you like, what do they know that I don't know? <laughs> I'm here to tell you today, you can know that. Have you opened up your heart to God and instead of resisting him, just give in and experience what Jesus did for you because he loved you so much. And let that love fill your being and believe in Jesus. Receive Jesus for who he is and not what he does for you. And make that your goal to know him more and more and more. Let's pray. God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. And we pray, like Paul said in Ephesians, Holy Spirit, that we would be filled with you. Because this is not something we can learn that we talked about today in a book. We have to experience you, God. We have to trust in you, God. We have to look to you, God. And, and even though it hurts sometimes, Lord, we're glad for the hurt. And it's not our fault, but, but it, it doesn't matter because it hurts so much, but Lord, help us to hang on to you, to cling to you through it, knowing that all things work together for the good to those that love you and trust you through it, God. That is our goal, to know you more, God, whatever it takes. And I even pray that with hesitation, God, but I shouldn't because you're good and you love us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us because we certainly couldn't come to know you without trusting fully in you for our salvation. In your name we pray.